Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast. Today, we have Ryan Jansen and Drew Golart of Zenlytic. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Thanks for, thanks for having us, man. Good, Austin, Grant. Thanks for having us on the pod. Yeah, super stoked to have a couple of New York entrepreneurs on the podcast. Uh, we've been interviewing people from all over, but it's also great to get some folks in the backyard. Um, but by ways of introduction, we'd love to understand you know, how you guys got started with Zenlytic and what the mission is there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess that's probably my job as one of the co-founders of Zenlytic. Um, so before this, I was actually a VC um, uh, living in London, UK. Uh, and our, our funds were sort of macro focused, basically. And the one uh, just as I was leaving uh, was focused on like big data at the time, I guess. Um, and I started doing research for this fund uh, and I was seeing how fast things are moving in of data and artificial intelligence. Uh, and I got so excited. I, I was like, you know what? I, I don't just want to invest in this. I have to participate. Um, so that's that's when I sort of decided that this was really important. Uh, to do that, the first thing I did is I went back to school uh, and I did a master's in data science where I met our, you know, the Zenlytic co-founder, Paul, and our CTO. Um, and Paul and I uh, actually started working together as sort of freelance uh, data scientists and data engineers at the start. Uh, and we worked with sort of dozens of brands from all shapes and sizes, from startups to Fortune 500s, helping them make sense of the data. Uh, and, you know, in, in that, we saw this very, very consistent problem emerging, uh, which led to the creation of Zenlytic, the product. Um, and the, the problem was basically that we have more data than ever before, uh, but very few people can actually use it. Um, when, you're, when you're a giant nerd like uh, Paul or I are, uh, and you have, you know, tools like Python and SQL at your disposal, it's it's really quite powerful uh, how much you can learn about an organization and, and you know, just get ideas about an organization uh, just by examining their data, right? Because that was something that we'd always do in our in our, in our day jobs. Um, you could quickly go, you know, as a consultant, you could go from complete outsider consultant, third party to one of the most well-informed people in the room in like a couple hours of, of using SQL. Wow. If you don't have those tools, though, uh, it's actually really tough. Um, and the 99% of people that either don't know how to use SQL or don't want to, because uh, I think a lot of people probably shouldn't be programming because it's actually, it takes a certain kind of really uh, pain tolerance and love of boredom and sort of <laughs> loves very weird things. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not a big nerd, basically, uh, there's just not much for self-serve tools out there. Uh, so we set up to build Zenlytic basically to solve the self-serve problem, to help everyday people access and understand the data in their businesses. Um, it's been a it's been a wild ride for us. So we we started this in the pandemic. Um, we've raised two rounds of funding. Um, we read our raised our pre-seed round led by Primary Ventures, based out of New York, uh, who are phenomenal. Uh, last sort of summer fall, we raised our seed round led by Bain Capital Ventures, who are also phenomenal. Um, throughout that journey, actually, we've always placed an emphasis on natural language. So like when we started building the product a year, a year and a half ago. We were actually using like the great great like grandparents uh, of what is Chat GPT four, uh, and uh, you know just like the early versions of these language models have always been integrated into Zenlytic. Uh, we always thought they would be important, but you know the past few months uh, have you know the pace has surprised even us. You know it's it's just been crazy how how fast things have been changing, and the access to some very very sophisticated language models has really helped us like accelerate that. Uh, and so what was once sort of like, you know, helpful to have additional chat features has quickly become center stage for us. Uh, so now we're actually using uh, 
you know, language as the tool for unlocking that self-serve business intelligence capabilities. And with that, uh, people are able to sort of talk with this tool the same way they would talk to a data analyst. And it actually feels like those conversations that we had as freelance data scientists, um, you know, except you can have instant answers and this data analyst never sleeps. Uh, and that really helps tighten up that sort of build, measure, learn cycle so that everyone on the team can act in a data-driven way. And that's sort of the goal of Zenlearn. Plenty of data analysts I know rarely sleep anyway. They seem very focused, busy individuals. Um, <laughs> I saw something fascinating on your website that I haven't seen elsewhere. So if you scroll down past the main hero image, there is uh, a ticker and it says, there's like a wow. way to toggle it on. It says, I'm normal versus I'm a data nerd. Um, so what's interesting is that like, you know, I wouldn't characterize this entirely as like a, like a low code, no code platform in the way that you know, a lot of companies are, but it sounds like you're sort of have a foot in both uh, areas where maybe this is for more of the cognoscente versus more of the layman. So I'm just curious, like how that changes your go-to-market approach as well, Drew, because it sounds like, you know, you're targeting two types of people. Yeah, I'd say that's, that's always a challenge, right? When you, when you don't have one person that you're selling to with, with one need and one pain point. Um, but I think you need both sides of the house when you're looking at a data uh, solution like ours, right? Like you need, uh, you know, for, for the engineering, the data people, uh, they want to know that they have a solution that their, their end users can use. Um, and a lot of that, and I can talk more on this is about, you know, the really sophisticated stuff that we do with our data model, uh, to enable this level of self-service and, you know, having that sort of positioning that with that ticker, uh, is something that plays every time, literally everybody that comes on our website is like, I love the ticker. I love the little switch. Um, but yeah, I think it's, you know, incredibly important to, to be able to talk to those people and, and give them a, a sense of reliability that they, they can understand, uh, or that their, their fundamental data infrastructure can, can provide value to their end users. The, the, the toggle has been incredibly popular. Uh, it's, it's like every single day we have someone else unless they love the toggle. Uh, we are actually just redoing the website. Uh, and we're working with an agency on it. And and they said, hey, what's the scope? And, and we said, you know, you can do whatever you want. We're very open to that, pretty much everything except the toggle stays. And that was like the one sort of like, you know, mark we put in the line we drew in the sand was we have to have the toggle. Uh, because as just says, like, you know, we, we have, we have uh, like a lot of companies, but we have sort of multiple stakeholders in a sale, right? And in this case, there's two main ones. The first is that self-server who wants to, you know, be more independent, who wants to be able to act faster because, uh, you know, emailing a data analyst takes, uh, you know, three, four days uh, of sub-cycle time. Uh, on the other side, we have the nerd, uh, the data analyst, uh, who is really, really loves to sort of set up and build tools for the organization, uh, but they end up getting inundated with these quick data pull requests, which take up a huge amount of the time uh, and are, you know, uh, th th that's that's not what they want to focus on and they want to minimize the number of those requests. So each each person has sort of a, a pain point we have to speak to, uh, but they're very, very different people and they're very, very different pain points. Uh, and we thought the best way to sort of circle that is, you know, by toggling it and letting someone sort of self-select. I will say we, we yeah. on our telemetry, we think that the, usually the usage of the site is like, most people are not nerds and they come in and say, okay, yeah, this is cool. And they read through and they say, well, maybe I'm a data nerd. And they hit the toggle to see what the other side looks like. And they look and they're like, nope. And they take the tip back to the normal. <laughs> Well, yeah, and um, it also dark. It darkens the screen. It puts you in a night mode. It feels like you're past the velvet rope at the lamest club of all time. And 
I think it's interesting because uh, I would, you know, the the marketing nerd in my, you know, myself is just curious what the user behavior is on the website after you toggle that, like, you know, to do a cohort analysis there as well. Um, but cool, yeah, that that all makes sense. So, you know, it sounds like you're uh, early in the journey. You, you got the funding from some, you know, big name VCs. What's next? Like, what is sort of the go to market? How are you uh, putting the operational capital to use? Yeah. Um... Great question. Uh, so uh, it's we've. So where do we start? So when we when we raised uh, our seed round, uh, we were sort of three and a quarter people, uh, and we are now up to nine, soon to be ten. Um, that feels like a pretty good place for us, and I would say uh, we're probably still sort of undersized for a company at our stage of growth. Uh, that's always been a strategy of mine. Uh, you know, as, as an investor as well, is that I've always kind of placed value on like sort of smaller, uh, harder working teams, basically. <laughs> but people trying to do more with smaller teams generally, I, I feel like, uh, is, is a better strategy than, you know, larger teams. So uh, we're always going to be undersized uh, for the, uh, you know, what, uh, for the stage of our growth. Um, right now, the name of the game is twofold. Uh, on the product side, um, we are essentially swimming up in an avalanche. Uh, it's so like the pace of change uh, in the marketplace and in our own product and in the capabilities of tools right now uh, is changing so, so fast. It's like nothing I've ever seen in, in you know, 20 years of working in tech. Um, we, we are having, you know, step changes in capabilities of supporting APIs and capabilities of language models and what's built. We're having step changes pretty much daily at this point. Uh, and we are continuing just to focus on uh, you know, making the product as, as, as stellar as it can be within the confines of the capabilities of the tech. Usually those capabilities are changing slowly. Now they're changing very quickly. So like uh, on the product side, it's just moving fast, keeping the iterate and add on the product uh, with the, you know, uh, unwavering vision of this should feel like a conversation with a data analyst. You know, our goal is we want to pass a Turing test if you want to get dirty on it. Uh, on the go-to-market side, um, we... Uh, we're, we're just selling like crazy. And I guess Drew can talk more about this, but uh, I would say that our, our growth model uh, is uh, sort of, I call it a high touch model, I guess, or at least a mid touch model. So it's very sales driven. Uh, that's because, uh, you know, BI tools tend to be a platform for the organization. Uh, so it's, it's less something that you would want to have a single team and do a PLG model, for instance, and kind of bottoms up it. Uh, and more something that you want to make sure there's organizational buy-in and Part of the value that we provide is aligning the entire organization around a single set of metrics and KPIs. So uh, that means that we get involved, uh, you know, in, in a mid-touch sales process. Um, yeah. No, please go ahead. And I'd say, yeah, no, and I'd say at this point, it's really about figuring out what's working and what's not, right? Like we can, we're spending a lot of time building various outbound sequences and trying to find the positioning that's resonating with different cohorts of clients. Uh, we're trying to push socials pretty significantly. So just like building more of a brand on LinkedIn, posting on our individual channels uh, and just kind of, yeah, making some noise. Uh, because I think as Ryan alluded to, there's such a significant market opportunity for this, for this solution, but there's a lot of people playing in this space. So we got to move quick. Um, and yeah, so it's really about just like dumping resources and, building, measuring, and learning. Like, 
I think socials and, and LinkedIn have been really tremendous for us. Uh, we've been able to make noise and generate, you know, significant conversations from that. I think, you know, we don't we don't have a significant following, or I don't have a significant following. Uh, but if I can, you know, write a post on LinkedIn and get ten thousand impressions, and those impressions, you know, turn into conversations, you know, it, that's good. Um, so we're investing in that. I think, you know some sort of overarching marketing content strategy is, is, is really big for us as well. Uh, like podcasts, for example, like, like the one we're on. Yeah. Um, newsletters, just, yeah, trying to, again, figure out where we can spend our time and resources that's going to have a significant payout. Because with every company, whether it's, you know, every company has different pain points they sell for, different customers that, that they need to uh, sell to, and their, you know, overarching solution is different. So there's not like a one size fits all in terms of any sort of go to market strategy, as you know, obviously. Um, and I think we're at the stage of, hey, let's just try as much as we can, put as you know many lines out, and let's see what's let's see what's working. So, yeah. I think yeah, I, I find, yeah. On the community side of the community social side of things as well, sure. I think if, if that's a good direction to take things, there's kind of some neat stuff happening there that we've we've had good success with. That we can probably talk about. Yeah. So um, we've. Sorry, what were you saying, ahead. Ryan? No, I was just going to say. Oh, so we've. <laughs> we have the, the, the crazy delay. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd say some of the some of the stuff that's been working for us is we have a really unique product, right? Like we have a really cool product that when people see it, it resonates. The ability to chat with your data, like you're talking to a person and have instant feedback. Um, that's amazing. Like there's a reason why ChatGPT took off in the way it did. Um, it took something that, you know, seems so complicated and always kind of gimmicky uh, and turned it into, into a solution that actually just worked. Um, and so part of our, content strategy, social community building stuff is all around making, decreasing the time it takes for people to see the product. Um, because I think when you see that in, in motion, then, you know, that, that's a differentiator. The, the BI space is incredibly convoluted. There's a lot of players in the market. There's a lot of people that are trying to roll up variations of GPT-4 and build a product around it. Um, but we've, you know, invested significantly in the infrastructure to actually make this thing work over the last two years. And we want people to see that it resonates. So that's something we're really doing, whether it's, you know, uh, newsletters that we're posting in and we're, and we're creating CTAs, various videos that we've made, or whether it's just posting on our socials with gifts that we put together or even throwing gifts in some of our outbound sequences, just, you know, showcase the product as much as possible. That's, that's it, uh, which is, you know, what you're looking for. Yeah, and you said something interesting here, which was like, okay, so there's a lot of BI tools out there. How do you leverage your channels? And it sounds like you're still in an exploratory phase of your channels. And a lot of folks, especially those uh, like really focused on PLG, they identify one channel and they triple down on it. I, I tend to recommend on that because like, you know, honestly, early on when you have that PMF and you're trying to establish those channels, just establishing a lower CAC is something that, you know, uh, Ryan, I'm sure you can attest to you investors want to see. But all that to say that, like, Absolutely. I think that LinkedIn and like the nature of outbound uh, has changed such that, like, there are a lot of tools. They all seem to be, 
you know, I have the same like millennial sensibility, UI and branding that people really like, and people want to buy from people ultimately. And I think that's why like an individual LinkedIn content strategy is so effective and something that we do with a lot of our clients, just because like, I think you want to buy a product that looks really good, but you also want to buy a product from someone who appears to be an expert in BI or SaaS or, you know, healthcare tech, whatever it may be. And like, I, I just find that LinkedIn has really evolved as a social media platform from earlier in my career and just the way that people post and interact with each other on that. Um, you know, like famously, like uh, Facebook got really big when they first started to have like the official McDonald's page and all these big corporate pages. And that was sort of, you know, uh, a big part of LinkedIn at first. But now, like if you consider like the CEO of major tech companies or, you know, even you know, you, you would call the major, but like your well-known series D, you know, C, D companies, like they have more followers, they have more impacts than the companies that everyone recognizes. And I find that that's just an interesting paradigm shift. And it sounds like, you know, you all are, you know, ahead of that in the way that you're producing content. Um, cool. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I, you know, I could nerd out about this stuff all day, um, <laughs> but, but by ways of wrapping up, um, just to be sensitive of time, Drew, I uh, peeked at your LinkedIn and I saw that uh -oh. you were really inspired to join startups because you watch the social network a lot. So I want to hear the story there. <laughs> then I have a hot take about the social network once you're done. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I didn't throw that in my LinkedIn. I forgot I threw that in there. Um, I think when I was in high school, I watched the social network a handful of times. I loved it. I thought it was exciting. I thought, you know, like the 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 allure of being part of building something that has potentially tremendous upside and being able to really influence the development of that thing is incredibly appealing to me. And it always has been. And I think, you know, part of that is I came from an entrepreneurial family where those sort of values were very much instilled, but yeah, I, I love it. Like my, my previous company, we were, we were also, you know, I joined as the seventh employee and kind of built out the sales motion there for two years. And, um, you know, it was a great opportunity, uh, and it was, it was a lot of fun, but, you know, I knew I wanted to find another startup with potentially a little bit more upside, met Ryan stars aligned. I was like, this is really cool. You guys are building something pretty amazing, uh, you know, and, and joined the team here. And I think, I don't know, for me, the, the ability to build something again, from the, from the ground floor, figure out what's working and what's not working. So you can, like you said, Grant kind of. Dump, dump resources into the stuff that's working, growth hack it a little bit and just get off the ground. That, that, that's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. All right, you pivot away from any interesting takes about the movie. I just think that it's, it's an overrated movie. I think that it was really important because it was like the first real movie about like this phase of tech. But if you go back and watch it, it's just painfully corny and stretches. Like there's this one scene <laughs> where like there, it's when Mark first moves to... Um, to Palo Alto and they're like zip lining from like the roof of the house into the pool and like the roof breaks and then somebody rings the doorbell and is like everyone okay and if that's Sean Parker and you're supposed to believe <laughs> that's Tibble. how Sean Parker yeah who's Justin Tibble, like that's how Sean Parker and Mark Zuckerberg got reconnected and I was like wait that was just a scene they threw in this movie that makes no sense at all that Sean Parker was walking by okay whatever I could rant about this that's a podcast for another day um what well I but, think yeah yeah we are not like an audience for that movie, I don't think. I think that actually stuff like that is super corny and, and uh, you know, to people who, you know, have value exposure, who work in tech. 
but for the rest of the people, you know, I've had friends who don't work in tech and they, wa- they watch the movie. They're like, wow, they're like, does that stuff like that really happen? And like, or they watch Silicon Valley on HBO and it's, you know, it's, they don't have any exposure and, you know, parts of it are, yes, you know, yes. parts of it are, are accurate, parts of it are not. But like, if you're, if you're an outsider looking in, I think it's actually really fascinating to see even in like a, a skewed view of that for entertainment purposes. Surely, surely. And it's one of those things where they probably intended it as like a, like warning story. Like this is a fable of Silicon Valley, obviously it's dramatized, but this is why these people that are in tech are sort of malicious and everyone watches it. And I'm not blaming you, True. I mean, I got inspired by it as well. It's like, wow, I don't want to work for a startup. It's sort of like Wolf of Wall Street, like spawned a whole bunch of people that went, went into finance and Martin Scorsese is like, that wasn't the point. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think when when Aaron Sorkin was, was kind of building that out, I think he didn't really... So, so most of it was made up, right? Like it was just his interpretation of what a guy like Mark Zuckerberg would be motivated yeah, by and right. kind of what that story is. So like the girlfriend in the beginning, that's totally made up. That, that, mm-hmm. that girlfriend didn't exist. That's not real. Um, but yeah, I mean, incredibly corny movie. I was in high school and that excited me. And I was like, yeah, I'll do, Damn, I'll do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah the, best, the best line in that movie is when the Winklevosses are like considering beating up Mark and they're like, I'm 6'2", 220, two of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, but cool, cool. Um, as we as we wrap up, is there anything else uh, you'd like to feature for the audience? We do sort of an asks and gives, if you have anything for our SaaS-focused uh, founders and operators, investors, audience. I would say my my uh, my only ask uh, is uh, if, if if you skew on the nerdy side of things, you just like to talk about this stuff. If you like talking about data modeling, data analytics, things like that, uh, please reach out. Uh, I just love to hear perspectives on this, uh, and it's always nice to you know have conversations uh, with fellow nerds. Uh, one of the things I love the best about actually visiting in Austin uh, was just so many other you know great data nerds there uh, to geek out with. Awesome. Well, Ryan, Drew, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. Um, And this was a great conversation. Talk soon. Thanks, 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 Thanks